celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, D.C. Hendricks. Mr. Hendricks, sir. Mr. Matt Wardlaw, what's going on? You know, I'm not often privileged to uh, speak to radio royalty like this, you know, so I'm just a little bit humbled. You know, Matt, I'll bring you on again. You don't have to suck up. I, I will definitely be bringing you on again. You don't have to. You, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. All right, fair enough. That's funny. How's things going? You, I'm, I'm glad to hear that your uh, your girlfriend was able to get the first shot. Yep, she finally got she finally got her vaccine. I don't know what was taking her so long. I think she was scared, but finally talked her into it. I got mine a couple of months ago. I'm feeling good. I think it was April uh, when oh, I got good. mine. Yeah. So yeah. I uh, other than wanting to see family again, I want. I'm ready to get back into concerts. I'm not. I don't know if I'm ready for like Lollapalooza or anything like that. I don't know if I'm crazy enough for that kind of stuff yet. But oh I'm ready God. for some concerts. Did you see that? Like, did you see that aerial that aerial photograph from the helicopter of Lollapalooza? It's crazy. Yeah, that's that was nuts. I was looking at the no pictures. No way, man. I I don't <laughs> like being around that many people that much anyway. Even if there's not a pandemic, so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Plus, I, you know, no offense to the Lollapalooza lineup. I was like, yeah, maybe five people at most that I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing. So it's all good, though. Shout out to everyone that's, you know, having a good time out of Chicago at Lollapalooza. But, of course, we're bringing you on uh, to unfortunately reflect on someone that we lost over the last week. Mr. Dusty Hill, of course, ZZ Top. They were just here, actually, in the area. There's an Elkhart County Fair uh, in Elkhart, Indiana, every year. One of the biggest fairs in all the United States. And they were just here for that show. And then I look at the the headlines, and I see Dusty Hill passes away in his sleep at the age of 72. But um, so let's dig into that. Um, You know, your first reaction when you hear the news on Dusty Hill. Well, you know what, man? I literally said holy s like i'm sitting there alone at my at my you know computer and i think i was just you know working on wrapping up an article or something for ultimate classic rock and all of a sudden uh a text message you know flashes on my phone and i just you know saw r.i.p dusty hill i was like oh my god you know and um i guess i'll say that um i'm a huge zz top fan and uh Matthew Wilkening, who's the editor-in-chief of Ultimate Classic Rock, he is also a big ZZ Top fan. And I think for both of us, you know, we saw, like, say, uh, Dusty leaving the tour, going home to get a hip thing addressed. Um, and out of the three members of ZZ Top, like, he just was one of those guys that, like, I mean, you know, when I talked to him, like, just so full of life, like, no reason to expect that uh, he was on his way out. Like, there was nothing that you had heard that you're like, oh, he's not in great health, I'm worried about this. Like, it just seemed like he was going home to, you know, get kind of a routine thing taken care of. So it was a huge shock. So bummed. Yeah, and obviously, you know, to not really switch gears, but um, I guess switch genres, you know, with the news that came out with DMX earlier this year and Bismarcky and, like, prematurely, you know, you see these headlines and people are all of a sudden saying, you know, checking sources and they're saying, up, oh, they're not passed away yet. So, I, you know, I hate to say it, but this is one of those situations where I was like, man, I really hope – that this news is false, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, someone misconstrued a source or something like that. But unfortunately we do, we did lose dusty. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you mentioned Bismarck. He like, you know, like he, he was diabetic, correct? Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. So, so like, that's a really good example. I'm glad you brought that up. First of all, you're right. Like it was premature to lose both him and DMX, like both of those huge losses. But like, I had some sort of awareness that like he had been, you know, sick in some form in recent times. So when I heard that he passed away, like, it's like, he already was kind of on my list of like, you know, man, like, I hope he's going to pull through, you know, like I was like hoping for the best for Bismarck. And so like, when I heard that, like, I was very sad and like, it's what you'd already kind of like heard, you know, could potentially happen. 
I was like, oh man, you know, I hated to see him to see him go like that. So, and we've just had we've had a lot of a lot of really sad losses like that, um, and and certainly looping back a little bit to you know what you uh, are talking about with Dusty Hill, like the thing with you know folks like Dusty Hill is like all of our classic rock superheroes, they're all getting up there. So um, seventy two, you know, is kind of you know relatively young in the classic rock world, but like all of our guys are getting to the age where it's like, you know, uh, whether it's expected or not, it's like, they're all starting to like drop off. And it's like, we've just been used to having all these guys around for so many decades that, um, it's just a bummer, um, as this starts to happen more and more. Um, but, um, it just makes the folks that are still out there doing it. Like, I mean, look at the stones that are about to go out in September and Charlie Watts is 80, you know, um, David Crosby is, um, turning 80 in August and just put out like, you know, literally one of the best albums of his career. Um, so uh, these guys, I think that's what makes a loss like Dusty Hill um, or anybody hard is that these guys um, seem ageless in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mick Jagger just celebrated a birthday. Keith Richards is about 130 now. Um, I'm trying to keep, I'm, I'm trying I'm to keep sure up. That both Mick and Keith are probably in better shape than either, either you or me. Absolutely. So. I can barely make it up the steps. I, I was yeah. coming up the steps to record this interview and ran out of breath. So, uh, and Mick Jagger's yeah, posting. Keith is running up and down the stairs right now. Like, that's right. Talking, no, no problem. He's like going, why are you guys so out of shape? Exactly. I'm What's wrong great. with you guys? You're 30 and you're out of breath. Yeah. So yeah, Mick Jagger, probably same thing, but you know, kind of going back to Dusty, and I know you interviewed Dusty with, with Ultimate Classic Rock, but before we even get into that, of course, ZZ Top, I mean, I guess going back to the early days, formed in Dallas, Texas back in 1969, so I want to travel back to the first time and the first record that you heard from ZZ Top. If you can, reflect with with us and tell us how that moment was for you. I guess it's correct to say that I'm a child of the 80s, so I kind of grew up with... Um, 80s ZZ Top, which made discovering 70s ZZ Top a whole, you know, revelation. Um, but first record that I heard from um, ZZ Top probably definitely would have been the Eliminator record. Um, I think I'd probably heard some of the singles prior to that, but um, Eliminator was the first record that I bought. And, um, I, you know, it's funny. One of the first songs that I remember, and I don't know if you've seen this video, um, but it's a great video, but one of the first songs that I remember hearing and seeing from ZZ Top from that Eliminator record was uh, anybody out there that remembers the uh, program Friday Night Videos. I remember seeing the the video. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing the video for TV Dinners, and I was like, "Oh man, like such a cool, weird tune." And I think that that's something that I would co- I would grow to love about DC Top was that they had like songs like that that just were strange um the song that i think of um that i'll talk a little bit more about perhaps later is like that goes further back for them is a song called manic mechanic and it's like i'm just hearing the song manic mechanic and i'm like going what is up with these guys where do they come up with this stuff um but um you know it's like uh eliminator had like great singles that we hear on the radio to this day whether it's you know legs or sharp dressed man or give me all your loving but it also just had like um songs like I got the six and I need you tonight. Like I need you tonight is one that like, I still hear that song. Uh, first time I heard it, like uh, I would say probably 10 years ago or so um, it had been long enough that I'd heard since I'd heard the eliminator record that uh, I was just listening to like an eighties, like rock show. And all of a sudden that song starts playing and I'm like, all right, this is easy top. I'm like, but, holy crap i'm like which one is this and so i like look i'm like i'm like what album is this on i'm like oh eliminator like you know like so um so even like an album like eliminator that folks just consider to be so massive and overexposed like there's good stuff buried in the grooves that even somebody like me that um owned that record and listened to that record a ton in the 80s like there's just stuff that you forget about on the records that are what um, really in my in my book made uh, that band just so special and so genius is that like you know yes you know certainly once they got to the 80s they just got a knack for like writing these unbelievable hits um, with with just hooks and and they're probably you know one of the early bands that not only were they writing hooks as you know DC it's like 
in a sense, the videos were the hooks. Like you know, the videos in some in some in some form were as hooky as as the songs themselves. And and um, I loved um, the interview that we put up on the Ultimate Classic Rock site um, after Dusty passed. Um, I mean, you mentioned that I talked to Dusty, but there's another interview um, that we put up as well where Dusty was talking about making the music videos and um, basically um, Gary Graff, who's the one that did the interview. Um, just made some sort of reference to um, how fun the videos were. And I don't think I've ever heard somebody say this as far as somebody that was in a band from the quote-unquote MTV generation. What Dusty said in reply was he said, I think we had, he said, I think we probably had more fun making the videos than you had watching the videos. And I've talked to a lot of various like folks from the 80s that they'll kind of moan and groan about how much they hated making videos in the eighties. So that was kind of cool to read that from dusty that like that, that they really had so much fun making those videos because I mean, no, no question. Those videos were just a ton of fun to watch as music fans. Yeah. And you talked about this record eliminator and it came out in 83 and yeah. ad- admittedly. So, I mean, I, I did a podcast, I did like a series. I'm sure you remember this last year during the pandemic we did, um, we went through the decades, you know, the greatest albums and songs through the decades. So we talked yep. and shout out to your lovely wife, Annie Zaleski, who joined me actually for the 80s version of that series. Shout out to Annie, of course. Yeah, um, of course. Shout out. Shout out. Um, we didn't even mention Eliminator. How, how disappointed are you? <laughs> Only relatively disappointed, because if I uh, if I voice my disappointment, then uh, she would equally turn around and say, well, you know, why didn't you mention this, this or this? <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. And before I get disappointed myself, I should say that, like, um, the other thing I saw in that Dusty, uh, that, that, that Dusty Hill interview uh, was that he considers the um, Eliminator and the Afterburner albums kind of like two peas in a pod. Uh, you know, he said something different. I mean, in a sense, he was just saying that, like, you know, they're kind of like um, they go together. And I totally agree because, you know, um, I got Eliminator and then I got Afterburner right after that. And, mm-hmm. and I love both of those records, which is a very controversial stance. It's kind of like 80s Kiss versus 70s Kiss, and, you know, you could go further 70s Yes versus 80s Yes. There are definitely um, only a certain segment of people, it seems like, that like um, both 70s ZZ Top and ZZ Top after they got into what they call kind of the quote-unquote eliminator era, the 80s era. Um, but I, I thought that those two records, and even on to recycler which emerges if that was not 1990 it was right you know i I think that record was 1990 but regardless i like all three of those records um you know from uh eliminator through um recycler i thought they were on a really really good tear yeah and and talking about eliminator i'm sure like the in terms of commercial success i'm sure we all can agree that that was the biggest album but from you and probably my personal favorite album of theirs as well but when you talk about you know, as a whole, we got to yeah. talk about the 70s albums as well. So which one would oh, you yeah. say top to bottom is the best one? Yeah, you know, I was going to say um, I was going to say definitely Trace Hombres and Fandango. Uh, I think they're two very different records, but um, those are definitely two that are favorites of mine. Um, so, yeah, I think I think I thought I think what was cool about Fandango is just the fact that, like, you had part of it that was studio and then you had part of it that was live. Like, I was very fascinated by that. And at the point that they really did not have for a lot of years um, until they put out like the German rock palast live performance, they didn't have like a good proper live record. So it's like Fandango was about as close as you got to that. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that um, those two records are really good examples for me of like somebody that wants to really appreciate like, you know, why ZZ Top is such a unique band. It's just like they, as a guy myself that spent a good number of years living in Texas, um, they really, for me, kind of, I think why I like that band so much uh, is is that they really do um, capture just the Texas blues rock sound that I was used to being around when I was living in Texas. And it's like there's, you know, of course, any number of things that we could point to um as far as Texas music, where you, whether you want to point to like Stevie Ray Vaughan or whoever you want to mention, but ZZ Top like really took that whole, like the whole musical melting pot that's going on in Texas 
they just took all the different pieces of that, um, as well as, you know, just the different things that they were being influenced by uh, individually as musicians and just really concocted it into like just a really cool stew, a very unique stew. Like, I, I, it's funny because they're, you know, I mean, think about this, DC, but it's just like they are a power trio and power trios to me have like always been like very interesting. And out of all the power trios, you know, whether you, whether you're thinking of, you know, Rush or, you know, you know, cream, whoever you want to throw into the mix, like um, ZZ Top definitely brought their um, own particular flavor and spin um, to that, um, that, that breed of bands, types of bands, you know? Yeah. And I believe they even named their group after a blues band. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you're right. So you knew exactly what they were going to do stepping in. So, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, shout out to Matt, of course, from Ultimate Classic Rock as well. Matthew, shout out to him. I I actually was going to I tried to write a couple of articles. So this is a funny yeah. story for you. So Matthew tried to have me come on as a contributor a couple years ago. OK. Yeah. OK. So I learned very quickly. I'm not a writer. Um, <laughs> he, he put that very nicely. Um, in, oh. in his review of my pieces, he said, um, cause I was, you know, that's how I even got, you know, started in this business as I used to be a writer, uh, kind of like yeah. yourself, but I, I'm much better behind a microphone and could have been one of your, uh, colleagues. I could have been, should have, would have, could have. So what were you writing about? What, what were the, couple, he had me, writing about? wow. It was something on Inexis. Um, oh, cool. nice. I think, I think it was Hutchinson's anniversary of his death, unfortunately. Is what um, he had me writing on. So, I mean, something that I'm pretty knowledgeable about, but I just can't write that. You know, you know, everyone can't do it. Everyone can't do it like you. Well, you know, here's something I'll say to you because um, I started out on the radio side of things, and I had a, I was, I was doing a, believe it or not, I was, I was doing a heavy metal radio show, heavy metal specialty show, and um, that kind of happened. I don't think that I had like, well, well, in a nutshell. I think you know, being on the radio side of things, when somebody at a radio station asks you if you want to do something, even if you're not even remotely qualified to do it, you say, yes, I do. Because it's just like it's it's an opportunity to elevate yourself. So um, at the time I was asked if I wanted to do this uh, metal show, I did not have the library to do a heavy metal show. But I said yes. And I went to the local record store with like, you know, 100 bucks, bought like 100 bucks worth of CDs and, you know, that got me through the first couple of weeks of shows before the record company started sending me CDs and all that kind of stuff. So through that, um, I met a guy um, who had like a local kind of alternative weekly type um, print magazine that was, you know, music focused. And um, I had him down not too long after he launched his magazine to, you know, talk about the magazine. And um, he says to me, um, I basically said to him, I'm like, anytime you want to come back down and do this, you know, you know, all, all good. We'll have you down. And so he's like, uh, so, so he ended up coming down every week, becomes part of the show and all that kind of stuff. But where this is all going is um, at some point he asked me, he's like, Hey, do you want to write something for the magazine? And I, you know, he asked me if he asked me if I wanted to interview somebody and I said, I'm not a writer. He's like, well, you know, you're already on the radio talking to people. He's like, it's the same thing. You're just writing it. So um, all that is to say that, like, um, maybe you weren't a writer then, but maybe there's uh, still a writer in, in you somewhere. So, so, but I, I, I agree. Like, you know, it's like there are these things that, like, you know, you kind of, you know, recognize, like, you know, you know, you kind of go for what you know. And it's like, you know, <laughs> from watching from what you're doing from afar, man, you know, definitely you're you're lighting things up on the radio side of things. So, uh, Thanks, you know, man. that's, that's Appreciate all good that. stuff. Appreciate that. I told you at the beginning, you don't have to do that. All right? I know, you don't right? have to, as you as will as come as on again. That out loud, I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm doing yes, it again. Yes, you're doing it again. It's all right. It's all right. So the reason I brought that up though, is obviously you guys do fantastic work at ultimate classic rock. And you had, as you said, you got to interview and you got a couple things with dusty up on the website. Just kind of tell the audience I got it. And we're obviously going to give a little snippet of it coming up in a little while, but uh, just kind of introduce, you know, some of the interviews and the audio that you have with Dusty. Sure. Well, I, I like to tell the story of like, you know, kind of how the interview went down because I didn't remember this until I went back um, because Matthew Wilkening, who you just mentioned, um, you know, reaches out to me uh, as we were talking about this. And he's like, do you think that we could put the audio of the interview up on the website? And I was like, you know, I, I had to like go back to see like, you know, what the quality of the audio was because I honestly couldn't remember, you know, couldn't remember 
like DC, you've had this, like sometimes you'll have a bad phone connection. Um, yep. There's any number of things that can go wrong that like would make it, you know, in your case, not radio quality audio. So I went back to the audio and um, then I remembered that like uh, I had called into a conference call line for the interview and it was a whole um, ordeal getting on the line with Dusty. It was about 20 or 25 minutes before we finally connected. Wow. And so the publicist, and I went back and I wrote this down so you and I could talk about it. Um, basically, uh, the publicist ended up calling Dusty and he says, he says to Dusty, what's he going to do? Stalk you? Call you every night? He's a good guy. Just let, just let him call you directly. So, um, so um, he said that in kind of a comedic way, but um, as, as he tells me, so, so it was very, it was very much comedy the way he said it. But at that point, I'm going, you know, he might just be embellishing this, and I'm like, just thinking, I'm going to get this guy on the phone, and he's been trying to get on this conference line for about 20 minutes, and you know, he's going to be irritated, and um, you know, how, how I didn't even know to begin with how long I was going to have with him on the phone, but I'm like, it's taken us 20 minutes to get on the line for this interview, so whatever time I have with Dusty it's probably going to be, you know, greatly reduced now. And this is just not going to go well. And so, um, so I dialed the number with kind of all that in my head and Dusty picks up the phone and, uh, you know, he's just like, how you doing, man? He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, technology just throws me, you know, it just was the nicest guy. We talked back and forth a little bit about, you know, Texas and, um, you know, then we just end up having this just, freewheeling conversation just like you and I are having right now for a good 40, 45 minutes. So, so just the best guy. So, but we went through a lot of different things. Um, you know, we talked about, um, for instance, ZZ Top's uh, cameo appearance in the Back to the Future 3 movie, um, which that was great. Um, and Matthew Wilkening um, had said to me, because Matthew's a big wrestling guy, so Matthew's like the ZZ Top guys are big wrestling fans, so you've got to ask them about wrestling. So I asked uh, Dusty about wrestling, and as I told Matthew um, here just within the past day or so, he just let out this big laugh, like he was so tickled that I'd ask him about wrestling. So he just had a lot of fun talking about wrestling. So um, the timing of talking to him was good because they had just put out, and for anybody that has not seen the ZZ Top documentary, which I think is uh, still on Netflix. It's just an awesome film. So um, I kind of consider this um, interview kind of a good companion piece to that documentary because since I was talking to him about the documentary, um, I kind of had um, free reign to kind of just go through all the diff all the different parts of their career, which, as you know, sometimes when a band or an artist has a new album, you know, it's like, you got to kind of sort of stick to the business at hand, which is whatever it is that they're actually promoting. So, um, and they'll, and they'll, they'll kind of entertain, you know, some talking about the legacy stuff, but it's like, they're not necessarily um, game to go down that nostalgic road. So in this case, um, since it was the documentary, it was really, everything was on the table um, to talk about. And um, there were things that I'd seen in the documentary that I kind of wanted to know more about. For example, um, ZZ Top takes a break midway through the 70s, and Dusty Hill goes and takes a job working at the Dallas airport, which watching that in the documentary was like, just blew my mind. I'm like, how does the guy from ZZ Top like go and get a job at the airport? How does that happen? And so he had just kind of a great um he had kind of a great story as far as how he pulled that off. So, um, so there's, there's, uh, it was kind of a mix of talking to him about stuff that was in the documentary, but also just, you know, stuff that I'd always kind of wanted to know more about. Um, another thing that's in the documentary that, uh, is, is pretty great is they undertook, I believe it was 1975. They undertook this crazy tour called the worldwide Texas tour, where the basic theme of the tour was that they wanted to take the spirit of Texas on the road with them. So they took these, you know, various types of animals and just, you know, all sorts of this craziness out on the road. So I was delighted because there wasn't a ton of stuff out on the internet as far as that tour. So I was delighted to, when I saw the documentary, 
see that see that that uh, that tour was really well represented. So I wanted to ask him some more about that tour. So we talked about that, um, and then I told him um, that what I loved about that Worldwide Texas tour was that the first time I had seen the band was in 1991 on the Recycler tour, and um, midway through the show, um, the the uh, the members of the band get recycled, and I was just like that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was like one of my first, one of my first few shows that I went to. And so I, the, the way I tied it together with Dusty, is I said, so, you know, you guys, you know, even going back to that worldwide Texas tour, you've already, you always uh, have had kind of like a theatrical part of the band, you know? So, um, so, and, and he kind of talked about some additional, you know, stuff that they've done. That's kind of in that realm over the years and also some things that, you know, kind of went wrong sometimes. So anytime that you uh, can, you know, talk to somebody and get some of those spinal tap moments, that's fun as well. Hello. Hey, Dusty, it's Matt from Ultimate Classic Rock. Well, how you doing? I'm sorry, man. I, uh, technology throws me. No that's worries. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we were I'm able good. to connect here, man. Where are you at today? Yeah. Where am I at? Yeah. Now I'm in Houston, Texas. Okay. Where it's nice, nice and warm. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I spent uh, about eight eight years of my life growing up in Odessa, Texas. So it's always good to talk to another person in Texas. So. Oh, oh Odessa, out there where there's no trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love all of Texas, but there's a lot of different parts of it. There certainly are, aren't there? Well, um, I guess I wanted to start uh, by asking you, you know, what was your reaction to this film once you finally got a chance to see it? Well, uh, I thought I thought it was well done. I was surprised. I, I, I have no idea where they dug up some of this, uh, these pictures and old footage and whatnot. Yeah. And have uh, you seen it? I have, yeah. Okay, what did you think of it? Well, I mean, I was pretty blown away. I mean, just when I found out that there was, as an example, going to be footage from the Worldwide Texas tour, I, I got really excited. So. Well, see, I, I never knew there was any. Yeah. So I, so I, you know, uh, they did their research uh, well. I mean, uh, and I mean, you know, look, it's a little. Uh, look, I'm a ham. I got no problem standing on stage in front of thousands of people. I love that. Yeah. But uh, outside of that, it's a little, you know, I find it always awkward talking about myself or even the band. For sure. If I talk about the band, it's easier, you know. But uh, I thought it went, went real well. But, you know, I don't know if I'm looking at it with the same eyes that um, everyone else will, you know. Well, for it you, sure, it, sure yeah. did, it sure did take me back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, even without a film, if there was no film, I mean, it's got to be something for you to take stock of 50 years worth of this band. I mean, what's that like? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's odd. I mean, obviously, nobody starts off saying, well, let's see, let's stay together, I don't know, 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, when we first got together, you could tell kind of by the documentary, we were all flopping around. Yeah, you know different bands and and then you know doing what we wanted to do. I mean, we were enjoying ourselves. I mean, uh, when we were working individually, and Frank and I, of course, showed in there. We worked together a number of bands, but uh, when this band got together, it was like, damn, all right. Yeah. You know, it just it really, really did. It, it sounds so um, uh, made up or whatever, but it really did from the first song we played uh, to feel right but Frank and I had the advantage of working in other bands before so the bass and drums we knew we knew you know uh, a lot of corners and tricks that that that, that we played in other bands and, and set Billy up you know to play his leads yeah in a three in a three piece you know it's a whole different world and you know you have no rhythm guitar, you have no piano, you have no horns, you have no, you know, I mean, that's the show, that's the, supposed to be the disadvantages, but the advantage is you have the, you have the most freedom in the world unless you play by yourself. Yeah. I mean, you can do virtually, and we've played together, and it didn't take us that long before we felt free enough to do that. Just take off. I mean, um, 
off script. In other words, our songs were, were uh, written by us, and that's a certain structure. But uh, that would go out the window when we'd play live. We could do anything we wanted to with it. And uh, that freedom is, 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 is really a cool thing if you're used to playing in three-piece. Yeah, and I mean, in, in the film, as an example, you know, watching you and Billy play, you know, Brown Sugar, obviously it's the three of you guys playing, but like just, you know, the interplay that's going on at any one point um, between you and Billy musically or you and Frank musically, that's a really special thing to like to watch as a music fan. So it's kind of cool. It must have been cool for you to see that start to unfold, see those, see those connections start to form. Well, this is what I'm saying. I yep. mean, uh, to be honest, to be honest with you, Frank and I—he uh, said so in the documentary. Frank was pretty funny in that documentary. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and he's brutally honest, I and mean, you can tell that. You know, yeah. you, you got to love that about Frank. Anyway, uh, we'd already known each other for a while, and we played together in different types of bands. Sure. So we were very comfortable with each other with that kind of connection. Yeah. And and I, I, up until that point, I'd played with my brother. And we had that. But until I met Billy, I had not had that connection that what you're talking about, that you almost, almost a psychic thing. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, uh, there weren't like hand signals, like still third base or whatever, you know, Uh, it was uh, almost understood. And that is a cool feeling, man, because it's, once again, it gives you the uh, freedom and the confidence to uh, to try things, and um, and and it makes it so interesting. That's why we appear to be having such a good time on stage, is because we are having a good time on stage. Yeah, right on, man. It's not it's, it's not cre- it's not created for the crowd. I mean, we really played to each other a lot yeah and i guess that was my point was that like you and frank had that history but it's like you add billy to the equation and something very special locks in that has endured all this time so that's just really cool and one of the cool things about the film is how it shows you i mentioned brown sugar it shows you guys jamming on certain songs including at times some of the more obscure stuff whether it's shuffle and see or brown sugar (laughs) Um, what yeah. was the process of doing that, digging into the material, in, into that material? What was that like for you? Uh, I, I don't know. You know, uh, we, we're fortunate enough, uh, since we've been together so long, we've got a lot of material. Yeah. You know, and to pick out, once again, i got to give a, a really thumbs up to uh, all the creative people involved in the, uh, in the film. Yep. Uh, the making of the film. Uh, of course, the material was... We, we, you know, we, we, that's our domain, but we wanted to mix it up, you know, and, um, see, see, like, for instance, you mentioned Brown Sugar. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved that song. Uh, and I hate to say it, you know, it sounds like bragging, but I really enjoy playing it. I enjoy listening to it. But of course, if you remember, uh, we got overshadowed by another song called Brown Sugar, which yep. was, uh, by that, what, that band from England, you know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, oh, the Rolling Stones, that's them. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> but which is, and the songs are nothing alike, of course. But in the studio, and I don't think it showed that, um, when Billy did the vocal for that, uh, you know, vocal booths are real small, you know, usually, you know, like a little closet. Yeah. And, and I, I was in there with him, you know, just, just because it felt like I should be. Wow. You know, uh, and he asked me, he invited me in, you know, come on in here and, uh, you know. And uh, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier. Even though we weren't playing, I wasn't playing an instrument with him, uh, we were doing the, uh, he was singing the vocal, and I guess I was the sweet inspiration (laughs) or something, I don't know. Wow. But, but, but it was another closeness thing, you know. Yeah, and I think that's something that's kind of cool. Um, you know, looking back at the early records, um, if the impact of Robin Hood Brian's involvement with the band in the early years kind of gets a little bit lost in the story sometimes, he gets yeah. appropriate credit in the film. What do you think that the band kind of got from working with Robin in those early years in Tyler, Texas that was important? 
Well, what didn't come out is I I had recorded at Robbins once before yeah. with uh, some guys, and I can't even remember who. Mm. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'd, it was just a session thing. So I'd seen the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, it, it was a funky little house. I mean, uh, th- that had a studio attached to it. And through one door, really, you go into one door, and it's Grandma's house. I mean, it's uh, it got doilies on the uh, chairs, and she brought us cookies. And uh, she had a little local television show about roses. And we would talk, and then we'd turn right around and go back there and play some just loud, kick-ass rock and roll. And, and, and it wasn't confusing. It sounds like it could be confusing. But it wasn't. Yeah. It was because it was it was very Texas. You know, my grandmother could have been in there. You could have interchanged them. It wouldn't have made much difference. You know. And but Robin, uh, Robin, Robin deserves a lot of credit. Uh, Bill Ham deserves a lot of credit. Sure. Uh, you know, it was a very co-op thing, but. We also, we also, in, in our infant years, the first album, we don't, we hadn't been together that long. Yeah. And we worked our ass off trying to get material for it. We were writing there, you know, at the studio, and uh, you know, rewriting and all kinds of stuff. So final decision came down to us, of course, about things. But but when Robin was talking about technical things. Uh, that, that was inventive. And we've always, even though, you know, we've always been on a little old band from Texas and it's just straightforward rock and roll and everything. Yeah. We try to, we try to use our instruments to the best of our ability. And that means if, if the song called later, fast forward, number of years, we wrote a couple of songs that we thought needed horns, which was, um, she don't love me. She loves my automobile. Hmm. And, high five mama anyway we decided no one's ever played with the band but us so we just went out and picked up three saxophones <laughs> well none of none of us play saxophone none of us even play wind instruments but we took a couple of lessons and we played them and 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 it wasn't out of ego or not wanting anyone to step in you know like it's uh you know uh the uh, like you're a Freemason or something, you got all your secrets in there or anything. We just wanted to do it because we knew what we wanted. Yeah. And it was it wasn't it wasn't like a very difficult part. <laughs> but we insisted on all three of us playing the part at the same time and and cut it all the way through, no stops, no over, you know. And since <laughs> there's a lot of squeaking going on, <laughs> so when we finished it. We were happy about it, and that's the point, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, you know, like a LaGrange or a Sharp Dressed Man or one of the big hits or anything, but it's satisfying. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many interesting stories, like, buried within these songs, like, you know, hearing how you guys kind of came up with the vocal effect that's on Manic Mechanic and the story you just told. I mean, there's stories all over the place with these songs. It's It's been yeah. a colorful career. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of songs were uh, things that either happened to us or friends of ours or personal experiences or whatever, especially in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, there's one, uh, Master of Sparks, uh, it's called. And uh, are you familiar with that song? Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's a true story. <laughs> uh, we... <laughs> Crazy guys, you know, made a sphere out of sucker gauge and put a seat in there with a little door and okay. put it on the back of a pickup, got inside and pushed it off the back, you know, going to what, 50 or something. You know, if you gave it much thought, and it wouldn't take much thought at all to know that as soon as it hit the pavement, it's going to flatten out on one side. <laughs> <laughs> but it sparked, you know. <laughs> And that's what that song's about. Manic Mechanic is was written by about a friend of ours who was uh, 
a great mechanic, but he was just crazy. And and we, we the, the I won't get into something that 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 that's we don't talk about much is uh, equipment <clears throat> at the time, you know. Uh, and I'm really dating myself, but hey, 50 years. How sure. can I not? Uh, we wanted the sound of the motor at the beginning of Mac Mechanic. I mean, uh, yeah, Manic Mechanic. Yep. And so uh, we had to run a uh, microphone out to the street and uh, put it on the muffler of the car to get that hot rod sound. And that was Billy's old mother's car. Oh, man. I mean, it was not... It was not a street rod. It sounded good, and that's all we were looking for. But here's this long-ass cord running out of the studio, you know, and us relaying verbally, no, a little louder, no, a little more of this, a little less of this, no, get on it now, you know. That's fantastic. Fast forward, fast forward from that to, to songs like Legs and things where we changed a bit and used some other equipment. Uh, you know, and now, of course, everything can be done on computer. You know, and and, and look, it's all good. Sure. You know, uh, I, I'm not one of these purist guys. You know, if I was, I'd play different kind of music. My brother was a blues player, and he lived the life, and he played the blues, and that's what he was. Uh, me, I'm a rock and roll kind of blues, rock, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So what, whatever it takes to get the sound that we think belongs in the song, that's what we'll do. Well, for the Trace Hombres album, the film talks about how you end up at Ardent finishing that record up, looking for the sound that Led Zeppelin got there with Led Zeppelin 3. And I, I wondered, what are your memories of hearing Zeppelin for the first time? Well, vague, uh, and because, because of the time frame, I was, yeah. uh, I, everything was vague. <laughs> Back then, if you follow my trip. I mean, Frank talks honestly about his years of, uh, oh, let's call it experimentation. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, you know, I had some too. It wasn't uh, as severe as Frank. But uh, I, I don't recall, uh, you know, in, in other words, I don't recall hearing it and going, oh, shit, this is, we need to have some sound like this. But I do recall you know, hearing it and it kicking my ass, you know, and just like I remember when Cream came out, and they weren't together, what, a couple of years? Yeah. I mean, not very long. And uh, that was absolutely one of my favorite bands of all time. I wanted to play like Jack Bruce. <laughs> and and it, it's three-piece, but I, then I changed my style a little bit because uh, to me it left too many holes in the song. Yeah. Play too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was he, he left the bottom out sometime, and I don't like that in the bass. Well, and you mentioned, like, Frank's issues, and prior to DeGuelo, the band is exhausted. There's various things to sort out, and that was another one. I hadn't heard about Frank's stuff, but the other part that I hadn't heard about that's in that same time period is you getting a job at an airport. It doesn't seem like it would be possible for you to just blend into society like that. Yeah, well, you have to understand, it was right before the beards. Yep. I mean, we were we were pretty well known. We were well known, but uh, I had old short beard, you know, regular length, and uh, you know, take off the hat, the shades, you know, uh, wear wear work clothes, and uh, you know, I had Joe on there on on my uh, work shirt, and uh, pe- people are not expecting to see you. So it's not that hard to pass yourself off. Now, a couple of times, a couple of people did ask me, and I just lied. I went, no, do you think I'd be sitting here? You know, and I did it. I did it. Uh, well, I think I, I said it. I'm not sure I said it clearly enough, but uh, we had been touring so much. Everybody was really, really exhausted, and we did not. We'd seen it happen, and we'd been in other bands that it happened to, that you just wear out. And we didn't want that to happen. We loved the band we were in. Now, it just happened to be at the time that Frank needed some time. And uh, so, of 
course, that break wasn't supposed to be as long as it was. Yeah. And uh, so I, you know, I needed to go if you want to if you want to call it that, get grounded. I had a friend that worked at the airport up in Dallas, and um, I just um, I just wanted to feel if you want to call it normal. I, I've been I've been a musician since I've been a singer since I was eight. I've been a musician since I was thirteen. Yeah, pretty much on the road since I was fourteen. So I wanted to uh, experience. And I had a lot of jobs, but for you know a month at a time or a week, whatever. But I wanted to have that regular, you know, you go to work, you do your work, you pal around, you go to the beer joint, maybe hang around, try to hit on the waitress or whatever. Go to the, I used to go to the uh, drag strip on the weekend, you know, race a little quarter mile and uh, things like that. And it, it really helped me out because we we were big enough to where we were making really really good money and people just don't know who we were but we weren't so big to where i couldn't go anywhere yeah if if i dress differently and act differently so i just it, it, it believe me i believe it helped me a great deal it was my own rehab you know but but uh for different reasons I mean, that's just a few things, man. Like it was, it was just a very fun chat. And sometimes, and I think that you've probably had this happen as well. It's like you do a lot of interviews and there's certain ones that if if somebody was to ask you about an interview, you'd have to look back and go, you know, I know I talked to that guy, you know, how'd it go? You know, was it good? You know, like, I don't remember anything bad about it, but like, how good was it? Um, but that's the, the chat with Dusty's one that like it's it, it hasn't been two years since I did that interview. And that is one that consistently when I meet somebody that is a big ZZ Top fan, um, I would talk about that interview with them. And just, you know, as we're kind of just talking about, like, you know, why we love the band or whatever, I would bring that up um, just to kind of illustrate that, like, hey, you know, this guy's a good guy. Those guys, you know. Uh, Billy, um, Dusty, Frank Beard, like they're good folks because it's like, I think that like you've encountered this as well, because I believe that you um, talked to Peter Frampton, for example, like when you're a fan of somebody um, and you like talk to them and discover that they're like, you know, good folks. For me, that always like makes me feel better about all the years that I've spent like supporting them as a fan and their music and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just kind of cool to kind of get behind the curtain and discover that, the kind of the personality that you have them uh, in your mind, like that it actually like lines up with you know, who they actually are, you know? Yeah. You like put them on this pedestal and you have yeah, this like exactly. image of who they are. And yeah. yeah, I completely, I completely get it. And you know, you talked about this interview that you've only done just a couple of years ago when you talked to him, I guess my similar uh, interview that I would have that you have to, to dusty mine would be Eddie money. Um, I got to talk oh, to him. Yeah. Yeah, I got to talk to him a few years ago, and uh, that was about when the uh, they had a new show on Access TV, like the rea- uh, the family reality show. I think it was just getting ready to come out, and he was very excited. He was very excited about that show coming out. He was pumped. Um, I think he was coming to, around the area to Indiana at the time, too, um, and unfortunately, we lost him. I think it was a year. I don't even think it was a full year after I interviewed him. It was, it's just crazy how quick things happen, and same thing with Dusty. So I guess what we, the real reason I wanted to bring you on today and put everything into contrast, I guess, is to not only reflect on, you know, Dusty, but also ZZ Top as a whole. So we we kind of joked about how old Keith Richards is earlier, um, but he was the one who inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, back in 2004. So I guess as we're looking at ZZ Top as a whole and, you know, a lot of people just say, well, they're an 80s band. Well, no. So where would you, you know, as the guy, the historian that you are, how would you talk about their legacy as a band? First of all, um, I love that you talked that you talked to Eddie Money because uh, he was. I, I talked to him a few times. He was one of my absolute favorite people to talk Absolutely. to. Absolutely, hundred percent. The thing that like that made me think of was that um, the one time that I talked to him, I called into a conference line. And I'm sitting there on the conference line, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like you just hear Eddie Money has joined the conference call, and like without <laughs> even like a second of delay, like he goes. Hey, buddy boy, how's it going? Anybody here? <laughs> that was pretty good. 
I was like, I was like, all right. I, I don't think that was the first time I talked to him, but I'm like, that's exactly how I want every phone call with any money to start. Yes. Um, but yeah, so um, ZZ Top and their place in things. Um, that's a great. That's a great question. I, I think that their place in things is just that you, you know, kind of like I said, like just like the Texas blues rock thing. Like I think that I think that a lot of people have a certain impression of what that is, what that looks like. Like if you think of like Texas music, I do think there are a lot of people that like might just go, you know, oh Stevie Ray Vaughan, or just throw out something that just is pretty um, their their visual of what Texas is, and it's just like. I always liked the fact that like ZZ Top was always kind of like, you know, coloring outside of the lines, coloring outside of the lines for what was expected for them as a band and where they came from. Um, And I think that you, their place, I think that you gave a pretty heavy endorsement right there just by mentioning the fact that um, Keith Richards inducted them into the rock hall. Like, you know, Hey, that kind of just outlines their place. The fact that like, you know, when they went in the rock hall, Keith Richards was the guy that put them in there because just like, you know, I'm sure that he gets plenty of phone calls to do plenty of things. And, you know, Keith does, I think, what Keith wants to do. And it's like, and that says a lot that, like, he was there on that night to be the one that, like, you know, uh, enshrined them into the Hall of Fame. Like, I mean, he's, he obviously was, you know, in the band and a major part of, you know, Chuck Berry's thing for the Hail, Hail Rock and Roll. Like, you know, Keith has been a part of some pretty heavy duty things over the years. And, um, ZZ Top, like, I mean, I think it's no stretch to say that, you know, they're titans on the same level um, of like a Chuck Berry, you know, or, you know, Johnny Cash or, you know, Eric Clapton, whoever you want to throw out. Um, as far as folks that really blazed new trails um, musically, um, and, and for those guys, like, it wasn't just rock and roll. There was, you know, there was country, there was blues, like, there was so much that like they were indulging in musically that they left a trail for anybody that was picking up a guitar, uh, a bass, you know, you know, going to play the drums, whatever they're going to do. They left a lot musically um, in their wake for those future musicians to kind of chew on and dissect and digest and figure out um, that, uh, I think was I, I talked to Joe Perry recently, and Joe Perry was talking about you know being you know influenced by like you know a lot of the British invasion stuff. So that's pretty common. Like you know like for for guys like Joe Perry, you know a lot of them were like latching on to the British invasion type stuff, and there was all sorts of stuff that the British invasion bands were doing that folks over here had not heard. So in that same way, like ZZ Top was doing things. Um, that same way that like, you know what, like I haven't heard a band that does it like they do it. So I think that that's kind of their legacy is that like, they definitely left their unique stamp on things. And it's just like, even while they were here as a band for the post, for the past 50 plus years, anybody that came along, um, after they were up and going, like they would look at a band like ZZ Top or a band like Aerosmith um, or even like Kiss, like all those bands, like they're looking at those bands going, you know what? Like I've heard this band and I've heard this band and I've heard this band, but this band, in this case, ZZ Top, you know, Kiss, Aerosmith, whoever, like you, you look at any of those three bands as examples. It's like, you know, you're sitting there as like a young music fan, potential musician and, man, all the music I've heard up to this point, like that ZZ Top, like that, that like knocks me over. I've never heard a band do that. So I think that's their, that's their legacy. It's like, they weren't just a band that were just like, you know, flavor of the moment or, you know, kind of like riding the wave of, you know, what everybody else was doing musically as far as their peers, like they blazed their own trail. They had their, you know, own style. Um, Yes, they were, you know, influenced by, you know, their own, you know, things you know and and took influence uh from that stuff and and wrapped it into their sound but you know ultimately for all their influences um you know they they took it and and they built their own thing that like i think is uh what they did is 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 unbeatable and it's never going to be matched of course we're reflecting on zz top's dusty hill who we unfortunately lost 
at the age of 72 earlier this week. Of course, the long-bearded basis player for the million-selling Texas Blues rock trio, ZZ Top. So you uh, you name-dropped Joe Perry of Aerosmith. So uh, yeah. I, I guess that's one thing that you got what coming up, as I love talking about what my favorite writers, writers and journalists have coming up. So go ahead and tell us what you're able to tell us on what you got coming up for Ultimate Classic Rock. Dude, I've had a good run. Um, first of all, I, I guess the final thing that I'll like punctuate on this easy top thing, I think you know, man, we've been seeing bands like in the past couple of years that they're accused of being like a Zeppelin ripoff or whatever. But have you seen anybody rip off ZZ Top? I haven't. Nope. That's their legacy right there. So Wow. Um, that might be the shortest. Usually after I've like, you know, delivered a filibuster like the one that I just delivered, <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> After you start talking again or whoever it is, I'm like, oh, I just thought of like the five second way I could boil that down. So there you go. There's the five second version of the previous, <laughs> you know, four minutes I gave you. Um, no, man, I've had a good run um, the past week or so. Um, I spoke with um, Joe Perry um, and had a really good conversation with him. Um, but uh, maybe I was still feeling the after effects of that because I tell you what, DC, there was a moment where I asked him a question and I'm not kidding you. He spoke for 20 minutes straight. So wow. maybe, maybe that rubbed off a little bit, but, um, but yeah, so I had a really good conversation with Joe Perry. Um, he's going to be um, uh, doing a rock and roll fantasy camp um, later this year. And I've talked to some guys that have done the rock and roll fantasy camp thing. And I will just tell you that Joe Perry, like he's a guy that like, I was like, he, he started off by saying, I don't know that I have a lot to like, you know, teach these guys besides, you know, showing, showing them my riffs and kind of how I got there. So he kind of starts off with a humble statement like that and then just proceeds to like, just, you know, school me for the next 40 minutes, you know, with the kind of stuff that he's going to like share with these guys. And I was like, I think this guy has more to give these guys than he realizes. So that was a cool conversation. Um, but then I also talked to um, Stuart Copeland from the police um, who has, um, uh, this very cool orchestral thing that he's doing called um, uh, the police deranged for orchestra, where he's taking um, parts of like, you know, famous police hits and mashing them up with other police hits and police songs and like creating like these, these new uh, arrangements. And so I know it's going to premiere, I believe in San Diego. Um, it's also going to come in Cleveland. Um, it's going to come to Cleveland, which is how I became aware of it. And uh, he's doing some shows in Nashville and then, I believe, overseas um, in Germany, perhaps, starting in 2022. So um, so that's uh, – so, yeah, Stuart Copeland. And then um, the final one that I thought of um, is I talked to Mr. Brian May from Queen, which was just – that was just a – that was a lifelong bucket list um, interview. And I will tell you that um, an opportunity came up to talk to him – Probably, I want to say it was like 2013, 2014. And um, as soon as I mentioned it, Annie was like, oh, man. You know, so I was like, I was like, you want to talk to Brian May? And, uh, you know, so so she said, she's like, yeah, I would love to talk to Brian May. And so, so I've done that a few times with different people, including on the Ultimate Classic Rock side of things. And my thought always is, I'll get another chance to talk to that person. So here it is. It took about a decade, but I got my shot with Brian May and um, he – he was awesome. So, so those are just a few things that I have that are, you know, coming around the bend. Um, I, I guess, yeah, yes, yeah, so that's enough. Yeah. So lots of good things happen. I've been having a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Keeping busy. Now, as we're reflecting on Dusty Hill and of course, ZZ yeah. Top, as always on this podcast, we dropped the needle sponsored by Orbit Music here in Mishawaka, Indiana. Of course, go over there, check them out, get you some records, all your music memorabilia. They got you at Orbit Music in mishawaka so we're gonna drop the needle i will let you pick any zz top record you don't gotta overthink it you can it can be i guess you know we can even go to um the 80s let's go let's go 80 zz top you can drop the needle on one record what do you yeah. got for me yeah i'm gonna go with that uh zz top uh i need you tonight from eliminator let's drop the needle
All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on here on the Music Vibes podcast and reflecting. Unfortunately, as you know, we did, we did end up losing Dusty Hill this past week from ZZ Top at the age of 72. But there's a lot that, you know, that we could have went on for another hour or so on ZZ Top. But I think we did we did it justice. We, you know, reflected on his legacy, the band's legacy, talked and the interview was absolutely phenomenal, by the way. So great stuff as always. But before you check out, be sure to tell Annie Hay for me. Tell her to keep doing her great work as well. And uh, hopefully you guys have a great dinner tonight. <laughs> Thank you so uh, much for joining. You've got it, man. Time travel with DC Hendrix on the Music Vibes podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.